0: And the big shift that a lot of leaders need to understand is that you need to move away from the, let me take you to greener pastures to, I am now taking you into darkness. I don't know the path. I don't know um, what the journey is going to look like. I'm not entirely sure of the outcome, but if you come with me on this journey into this world of uncertainty, into this darkness where we can't see, we'll figure it out together. We'll identify the opportunities, we'll mitigate any risks, we'll create something better than what we have now.
1: Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Friedrich Nietzsche, The future influences the present just as much as the past. Our guest today, Jacob Morgan, is constantly thinking about the future. He's a futurist and leading authority on the future of work, the employee experience, and leadership. He's the best-selling author of four books, including The Future of Work and his latest, The Future Leader, which was released early this year. He's a TED speaker, founder of the Future of Work University, and the host of the podcast, The Future of Work with Jacob Morgan. I've gotten used to saying that now. Jacob, welcome. It's uh, excited to have you on the Elevate podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're all things future, but I thought we should start with your past. Tell me a little bit about what was early life look like for you?
0: Well, really, I suppose how far back you want to go. But if you go back to like the education years, I was always a really bad student. In high school, I think my GPA was like a 2.79 or 2.6. And then I went to community college, and I bumped up my GPA slightly to a 2.8. So you can imagine my my Russian immigrant parents were quite proud of my uh, yeah. my like C average. Uh, and then I went to the University of California Santa Cruz. Go banana slugs! I don't know if you have any listeners who who gone to Santa Cruz. There's usually maybe one. And when I got to UC Santa Cruz, that's when I don't know something like clicked in my head where I realized that this is basically the last opportunity I have. Like if I screw up here no job, no career, no nothing. So I double majored in economics and psychology and I I worked my ass off. I had a 3.8 GPA and I was at that point very, very excited to join the corporate world. Uh, I thought, you know what? I'm ready. I've I've studied hard and I'm going to work for an awesome company. And I thought my career trajectory would be go work for a company. And then eventually go back and get my MBA, have the company pay for my MBA. And one day I'll be the CMO of a company like uh, Coca-Cola or IBM, you know, one of those big brands. Yeah. So my first job out of college, I go work for this technology company in Southern California. And anyone familiar with Southern California who knows the traffic there on the 101 or the 405 freeway, I had a three-hour daily commute, an hour and a half to work, an hour and a half back from work every Uh, day. Yeah. But I took this job working for this company because they told me, that I'd be doing all these great things, traveling across the country, meeting with business leaders. I got sold this really amazing story. So I took the job. A couple months in, I'm doing data entry, cold calling, PowerPoint presentations. And the pivotal moment for me was when the, uh, one of the top executives at the organization came out of his corner office and he says, I'm late for a meeting. I have something really important for you to do. And I thought, you know, I got very excited. I thought, what is it? And uh, he gives me a $10 bill and he says, I need you to go down to Starbucks and get me a cup of coffee and you can get yourself a latte as well. And that was one of those moments in my life where I was like, okay, this sucks. Yeah. I worked so hard for nothing. And that was one of the last full-time jobs I ever had working for anybody else. And funny enough, a couple months ago, this whole experience happened around, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago.
1: You found him working at Starbucks. Tell me that would be the perfect end to the story.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, certainly not. But he, uh, so I was flying from Oakland Airport to Southern California because I was recording the audio version of my book. And I'm sitting there waiting for the plane, uh, waiting in the, you know, the, the lounge area. And uh, from behind me, I hear somebody say, Jacob, Jacob Morgan. And I turn around and it's this guy who made me go get him coffee. And he says, you know, I've seen some of your stuff on YouTube. And I've seen some of your talks of how you tell everybody how you had to go get me coffee. And, um, you know, I didn't want to get into the whole thing with him. So I was like, oh, you know, I have so many videos out there. I mean, I'm not really sure. Yeah, which one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't want you know, he was there with his kid, he there, they, they were like for a baseball team. So I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I can hear as soon as we stopped talking, I walked away and he goes over to his friends and I could hear him saying like, Hey, you see that guy behind me. I, I let him go for my company. He got coffee for me one day. And I can tell that he was like talking about me to his friends and to his kids. And I'm sitting there going, like, oh geez, this is gonna be awkward playing right. But interestingly enough, he's still kind of in the same place, you know, mid-level manager, uh, pharma company running ads, uh, ad spend. Um, so he his career trajectory basically stayed the same. Um and after That job for me, I was able to really change the way I think about work and leadership and employee experience. So I suppose I should be grateful for that experience. Yeah, we all
1: have actually these bad managers or bad things that were very motivating for us. A lot of people I know who are amazing leaders who can point to some anti-leader in their life where they just said, I am not going to be that person. Did you have that? Yeah, I had one. And someone was telling me a story the other day that his old partner was just so terrible, but he actually came to like, thank that person, like, like has thanked that person for sort of really like being such a clarifying influence in his life. And he didn't mean it sarcastically. He's just one of these really great people who's like, I appreciated the experience and I learned about what I didn't want to be. And I, you know, he was kind of verbally abusive and I actually learned how to listen to customers yell at me from him. And it was just, you know, he, he thinks that was a big part of his thing. So it does, it does not surprise me that someone who's future focused did not do well in school, studying yeah. the past. I, w- I would think that's a very, very typical of people who are entrepreneurial or creative or, or thinking about, you know, different ways of, of doing things. So you didn't have your sort of Jerry Maguire moment with with a Starbucks coffee, but you left soon after. Yep. H- how did you transition into what you're doing now and sort of build yourself as a, a authority on, on the future of business?
0: Well, so at the time, I and mean, people need to remember, I was probably in my early early 20s. So, yeah. you know, early 20s, I was living in Southern California, and my college roommate at the time, he lived in the Bay Area here with his parents. And he's like, hey, you know what? You should come up to the Bay Area. And I thought, ah, I can't go to the Bay Area. And everybody told me, it's super expensive there. You're not going to be able to do it. You know, you got to make a ton of money. You're, you're out of your mind. And so one day, I literally took all my stuff. Out of my parents' house, I threw it into my uh, Nissan Maxima, my 2001 Nissan Maxima. I drove up to the Bay Area and I stayed with my friend Brian and his parents for a couple months. And while we lived there, we looked for jobs in the Bay Area. And so he lived uh, around 45 minutes south of the Bay Area. So we used that as a home base, and we would drive into the city for job interviews until eventually we both got a job in the Bay Area. And uh, I had one final job in the Bay Area, similar experience. And after that, yeah, I mean, I had to build a brand for myself from scratch. I mean, I had no network. I had no quote unquote Rolodex that a lot of people have after working in the business for years. And at the time, my focus was on search engine optimization. I was doing a lot of online marketing stuff. Social media wasn't really popular. Uh, none of this stuff was happening that that's going on now. And so I was really stuck trying to figure out, what do I do? So the first thing that I did to be able to get clients on the side was Craigslist. I don't know if this still exists, but there used to be something called a Craigslist scanner. And you could type in keywords into this Craigslist scanner, and you would scour the entire website looking for people um, who are putting up job postings that match what you're looking for. So I put in online marketing consultant, search engine optimization strategy. And I would run it for like an hour and it would pull back 100, 200 results for me. And I would email all of these people and say, hey, you know, I saw you're looking for an online marketing consultant. I'm happy to help you. And slowly, I started to get projects like that until I, have enough, I had enough money to supplement my full-time job and then I quit my full-time job. Then I started a blog. Then I started to get a little more active on social media, started to share my ideas. I pivoted a little bit from search engine optimization to social media consulting. Then I pivoted to internal collaboration consulting, which was around how do we use these tools like Salesforce Chatter, Yammer, Slack? How do we, before Slack was even around, how do we use these tools internally to connect our people? And then I pivoted slightly again to this idea of employee experience, future of work. So it all started with this kind of online marketing space and evolved into what I'm doing now. And really, I mean, I, I credit anything I've been able to do with just. I mean, building a personal brand for myself, using social media at the time. uh, Do you remember tweet ups? Yeah, yeah. So I would go to like three, four tweet ups a day in the Bay Area. Like I was just doing whatever I could to get my name out there, speaking at events for free, just grinding it out as much as I could until uh, I was able to build somewhat of a name for myself and then built on top of that uh, over 15 years.
1: Yeah, and, and initially, I want to be clear. You said Craigslist scanner, not Craigslist scammer, because that's a totally different <laughs> category of things. Yeah.
0: Not scammer. No, there people was a-
1: built, the amount of businesses that were built on Craigslist was pretty amazing for the simplicity of it. I knew people who would just, you know, respond to, you know, they have some service for babysitting or something. And so they respond to every babysitting ad and let people know about the service or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. That's exactly what I did, but for my area. And, you know, I think part of being an entrepreneur or any successful business leader, and I'm sure you have experienced this as well, you got to be scrappy. You got to work with what you have. Right. I mean, I was very constrained in terms of resources, network, uh, you know, early mid-twenties, didn't have a ton of money. Like I, I couldn't get ads. I couldn't, I, like there was a lot of stuff that I couldn't do. So I had to work with what I, what I could do. I'd stay up till three, four in the morning, just grinding out as much as I could. Uh, and then doing that consistently for many, many years.
1: So it's not lost on me that you didn't like work environments very, very quickly, but now you're thinking a lot about what they look like and what the future of work looks like. What, how, how do you think about that? Is it across all organizations? Is it how people work? Um, I mean, are there different ways you you look at this as someone who hasn't spent a lot of time inside organizations?
0: Yeah, so I, um, fortunately, although I have not had a ton of full-time jobs myself, I had the opportunity to spend lots of time inside of organizations, uh, from doing speeches or advisory work or just doing tours of different organizations. I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with leaders and companies all over the world just seeing what's going on. And so when I think of the future of work, I mean, a lot of things come to mind. Uh, first employee experience is a big part of the future of work which i think of as three components culture technology and space how employees feel working for you the yeah. environment in which they work and the tools and resources they have access to to get their jobs done another big part of that is is leadership yeah and you know you i'm sure can speak to this as well so all future of work is a broad topic and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people right ultimately my goal with all of this is to get to a point where we can create organizations where people genuinely want to show up to work each day. I mean, I I remember, I distinctly remember several times my alarm clock would go off at six in the morning and I would get that uncomfortable pit (laughs) in my stomach.
1: I I call it the high school Monday morning feeling, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would literally get like heart palpitations from not wanting to go into work. And it was so unpleasant and so uncomfortable. Like I, I dreaded it. Yeah. So, you know, all the stuff that I do now is I'm trying to figure out how do we make sure that other people don't feel that way? You know, I would have loved to have been excited to wake up in the morning. You're like, oh, my God. You're like, I want to see the people there. I have these great projects I want to tackle. I never had that.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town. And not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all new Lexus GX luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/slash elevate. Well, there's this sort of this like zombie apocalypse thing, I think, of of sort of leadership mentality where people are running a command and control playbook 20 years past when it stopped working. They just don't see that their business is dying slowly. No. And, And it goes to something that you said, which is there's so much flexibility. There's so much liquidity in the workplace these days, which there wasn't 20 years ago. There wasn't online and remote work, whatever. That if there's not a compelling reason to go work as a company, you go into the freelance world or the gig economy. Like no one, I mean, in some small towns and manufacturing, yes, but in in knowledge work, you really don't. Have to go anywhere and do mindless work for someone you don't like in a company because you could just build your own job. And I don't think a lot of leaders see how much that is an existential threat to their business.
0: Oh, for sure. And so, you know, there are a couple interesting things. So first, you correctly touched on the fact that a lot of people believe um, that what worked in the past for leadership, what works in the is what's going to work in the future. And the mentality there has always been: as a leader. Typically, you go into an organization and you say, I can take you to greener pastures. I've seen it. I've done it. I know what works. I'm going to do it here. And so you take that same mentality and that same approach and you try to apply it, even though it's a decade later, a new company, new environment. And the big shift that a lot of leaders need to understand is that you need to move away from the, let me take you to greener pastures to, I am now taking you into darkness. I don't know the path. I don't know um, what the journey is going to look like. I'm not entirely sure of the outcome, but if you come with me on this journey into this world of uncertainty, into this darkness where we can't see, we'll figure it out together. We'll identify the opportunities. We'll mitigate any risks. We'll create something better than what we have now. That's a very different approach for a leader to have because you're admitting that you you are living and working in a new world and you're not sure what's going to happen. And it requires a little bit of humility, a little bit of vulnerability, creating trust, psychological safety, getting people to follow you, as opposed to saying, hey, I did this here and I can do it here. Uh, You know, I did it in the past. I can do it here now because things are changing quickly. The second thing that you alluded to was, of course, that there's no reason now to work for a company that you don't like. I absolutely believe that the only type of job security that exists now is the one that you can create for yourself. I mean, I have friends who have worked at organizations for 10, 15, 20 years, and I've known them for a while, and they would always tell me, oh, you know, I got this cushy job, I got job security. All of a sudden, they're getting laid off. COVID comes, they're losing their jobs, people are thinking of relocating. Where was your company?
1: They also assume that bigger is safer. I had a long discussion with someone yeah. years ago who, who wouldn't come to our company and stayed at this sort of industry dinosaur that had been slowly dying. And she's like, well, it's just more risky. And I'm like, I, I, don't, <laughs> I know we're a smaller island. You're on the bigger island. But your island's been sinking for like 10 years. So I don't know. I just feel like that's the type of company you can wake up one day and be blindsided.
0: Risk, is, I mean, for me, risk is purely a state of mind. Yeah. It's not an external factor. It's risky if you make it risky. But if you put in the time and the effort and, and you, know, you, you believe that you're responsible for your own career trajectory and success and path forward, it's not risky. I mean, the risk is when you put and you give somebody else control over everything that you do. Right. Uh, but when you take more ownership over that and believe that you can shape your career path going forward, there's, I think, considerably less risk.
1: Right. So one thing you said, though, I understand that. Hey, don't just follow me blindly because I did this before. But the leader does set the vision. I mean, I kind of hear, "Hey, here's where we're going." I don't know how we're going to get here. Like, I need your help on that. But I do think they set the the vision of, of where it's going. I, I don't think a lot of people are follow people into a, a necessarily a blind tunnel without any sense of where the tunnel's going.
0: Not a not a blindness. So maybe darkness is not the. Yeah. But it's <laughs> it's this idea of a fi- How about a field? It's a field of well, because now with the the speed of change that we're experiencing right with things like covid with a lot of issues around racism social injustice as a leader you can't necessarily see um the path forward i mean you have an idea of where you want to go but you're kind of entering a dark tunnel that's supposed to lead you to where you want to go but you don't know what's going to be in that tunnel when you get there you don't know the challenges you don't know the obstacles you don't know the opportunities that are going to be there you just have this idea of where you want to go and you need to get people to come with you into this sort of unknown this uncharted territory this you know uncharted water to hopefully get to this destination that's on this other side somewhere it's like did you ever see the documentary or read the book the The lost city of z no it's so it's basically about um this explorer who wanted to find this supposed mythical uh, land in the Amazon somewhere. And so he, again, he had this, he had this idea of what he was looking for. He had the, this picture, this vision, but he had no idea how he was going to get there as he's traversing right. through the Amazon forest. And so that to me is really what I think of when I think of a lot of leaders today. It's not this charted path that you can just follow. So what does the future leader look like and not look like? So let me give a little bit of context before I give an answer. So I this is something that I wanted to figure out because people would ask me this question a lot. And to try to figure it out, I interviewed 140 CEOs at some of the world's biggest companies. Oracle, Unilever, Best Buy, Domino's Pizza, uh, Kaiser, Audi, I mean, you name it. I talked to a lot of these people. Verizon, T-Mobile. And I sat down, well, some in person, some were done over the phone. And I asked all these leaders a series of questions. asked them about the biggest trends, challenges, um, the skills that leaders need to have in the future, and the mindsets. And they came back to me with something that I like to call the Notable Nine. And the Notable Nine is a collection of four mindsets and five skills that leaders need to have if they want to be successful. And I won't go through all of them, but mindsets are basically how a leader needs to think, and skills are things that leaders actually need to know how to do. So some of the mindsets, for example, include things like, uh, I call it the mindset of the chef, which is balancing the humanity and the technology aspect at work. Right. The mindset of the explorer, which is having growth mindset, curiosity, surrounding yourself by people who are not like you, who don't think like you or look like you. Uh, Some of the skills include things like thinking like a futurist, uh, thinking in terms of scenarios and possibilities and options instead of just picking one path and going down it. Uh, that was actually the number one skill that these CEOs identified as being most crucial. Uh, another skill is the skill of Yoda, uh, emotional intelligence, empathy, and self-awareness. Um, so those are some of the skills and mindsets that that came up. Um, and again, there were others, but I, I don't need to go through all of them unless you want me to.
1: And, and what is most different out of that? So what, what are the leaders who are not, what do you have to have versus some of those traits you have to learn? I mean, do you think everyone can evolve or, or can some people just not evolve at the pace that's required if they've been doing the old thing for 30 years?
0: So the big question was really around, is leadership going to be that different? I mean, that's, that's probably what a lot of people are thinking. Like, I mean, come on, how different is it going to be as far as being a leader today versus 10, 15, 20 years ago, or being a leader 10 years in the future? Yeah. So this was the same question that I asked all these CEOs. And it's true that, um, these CEOs did acknowledge that some core aspects of leadership will indeed remain the same. Things like executing on strategy, setting a vision, those things always relevant. But what these business leaders also told me is that the world and, and organizations are fundamentally changing themselves because of globalization, technology, um, the changing nature of talent, purpose, meaning, ethics, transparency. Now we're seeing things um, you know, with current events that we talked about. And so all of these elements together mean that our businesses are fundamentally going to look different now, and especially in 10 years. So if you have a business that looks different, then you need a new type of leader who is going to guide that business forward. Now, a lot of leaders today, and you, know, you can think about this, one of the things that I always found fascinating is that you could work, and I experienced this, you could have a job at a company, and in that same company, there's going to be a leader that everybody loves and admires and respects. And in that exact same company, there's going to be a leader who everybody hates. Somehow, both of these people got promoted. How does that make any sense? And so what we start to see in a lot of organizations today is that to become a leader now, you really don't need to do these things that well. To be a leader now, you could bring in a lot of money. You could stay at the company for a while. You could navigate office politics and bureaucracy. You could be friends with somebody. Like There are lots of ways that people get into leadership positions now and they don't deserve to be there. Right. And so what these CEOs told me is that while that might work today, going forward, that's not, you're not going to be able to get into a leadership role unless you genuinely possess these skills and mindsets. And I think that's the difference. I also surveyed 14,000 employees with LinkedIn. And I asked all these employees, do your leaders have these skills and mindsets now? And the number of people who said that their leaders are practicing these skills and mindsets very well was in the single digits. Hmm. So there are a lot of leaders today. It doesn't mean there's all bad leaders. There are some amazing leaders out there, but we need more of them.
1: But do we need better leaders or we need better training around these core principles?
0: All of it. Yeah. Because the other crazy thing that I found is that most people don't get into leadership development programs until they are in their late 30s or early to mid-40s, which means that you might start working at a company in your 20s. You might actually become a leader in your mid-20s, right? 25, 26, you're probably a leader, but you don't actually get trained on how to lead until 10, 15 years down the road, which means that there is a period of over a decade of your life where you are leading people without actually being taught how to lead them. And this goes back to this traditional leadership mentality because a lot of organizations believe that oh, you know, the leadership development is an exclusive thing. You have to be at the company for a while, and then you'll get invited into this really cool leadership development training program. But you got to pay your dues before you do that. And my argument that I try to make is everybody should be taught these things. Whether you are an entry-level employee or somebody who's been at the company for 20 years, you need emotional intelligence. You need to know how to coach and motivate and inspire others. you got to think in terms of scenarios and possibilities you need to learn how to serve others. This is not just something that the 30 the 40 year olds need to be learning. Um, So it's a combination of different things. We need to teach these things earlier and we need more leaders who are embracing and practicing these things.
1: Yeah, this has been a theme with a couple of my past guests and one who ran Oracle University, and I think it's a risk for a lot of companies. you talk talking about single digits. Most new managers are not good managers. <laughs> yeah. And and so if you have a company that's growing people and putting in a lot of people as new managers, it's a huge risk for your organization because most people just don't do it well when they start. It's a big change from being a great individual contributor.
0: Well, and the same can be said about any aspect of life. Whenever we start doing something, we're never good at it. Yeah. You know, you start playing a new sport, you start a new career. I mean, nobody's ever good at it out of the gate. Right. And I think that's something that we need to remember is that nobody's going to be a good leader. Nobody's going to be a good manager on day one. It's going to take time to build these things. But the thing is, we need to build them. We need to teach people these things.
1: When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board, it helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So COVID nineteen hits. Everyone works from home. Greatest work from home experiment in the history of the world. A lot of people rethinking, you know, all kinds of aspects of their business, from remote work to digital offerings to, you know, what had to be in person and what didn't. As someone who thinks about the future, what do you, what do you think has been?
0: Had things been changed in the last couple of months, or have they just been accelerated? Both. For sure, um, so I mean, one of the things that I find particularly interesting is that a lot of the conversations that we used to have around artificial intelligence, automation, jobs being taken away from humans by technology, you don't see much of that conversation anymore. interesting, yeah, a lot of it has shifted more towards this human stuff, you know, leaders who are committing to not laying off their people, uh, stories of. CEOs who are doing story time for their employees kids you know on conference calls like a lot of these human stories are are taking over which i think which i think is good and it reminds us that business is fundamentally a human thing it's a person thing and so really what i think this means is that leadership is going to be dramatically different you know the the book that i wrote was aimed at looking at leadership over the next decade and as a result of what we're seeing now, I mean, this stuff has been fast forwarded to today. Yeah. You know, putting people first, when you jump on a call with your team, you don't say, how's that project going? How are those sales numbers going? You say, are you okay? Yeah. Are you able to get food? Um, do you feel safe? How's your family? Like these are the first things that you jump to now, right? This is the, the skill of Yoda, the emotional intelligence piece. So I think how leaders lead has dramatically changed You have to be a human being first, a good human being first, and a good business leader second, right? So people come first, numbers, profits, all that sort of stuff has to come second when you're talking to your people. Um, I think the second area where I think a lot of stuff has changed is around this idea of remote work. And some people are saying, oh, are we ever going to go back to the office? Yes. (laughs) The vast majority of people who worked in organizations or who worked in offices are going to go back to those offices. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be some companies, and we've heard some stories, uh, companies like Twitter, I think maybe Nationwide was one of them, where they said some of their employees can work uh, remotely forever. Yeah, some of that's going to happen. But the vast majority of people are going to be back into an office. And what I think we're going to start to see more of is that even though you'll be back to an office, the company will embrace more flexible work arrangements. It's not going to be your typical going back to an office of nine to five. It'll be, you know, work, work kind of how you want. You know, you want to take some time from home, work from home. That's great. You want to work a little bit later? Hey, that's cool too. You got soccer practice for your kids and you attend? Totally fine. So it's going to be a lot more, I hope, of that kind of flexibility. But our office is going to get torn down. Is nobody going to show up to a building anymore? I don't think that's going to be the case. There's also the flip side of this to be considered. And I've heard a small handful of these types of stories Uh, And I hope this won't happen. But there have also been some things sort of floating around where companies are using this time as a way to show that flexible work is not a solution. They saw a decrease in productivity. Revenue fell. Employees had a harder time working with each other. And so some companies are actually going to go back and say, hey, you know what? We tried this working from home thing for like four months and uh, it didn't go that well. And so as a result, we're not gonna do flexible work arrangements. Yeah, that
1: that's an example, just as you were saying, you had to do it with no preparation, no training, no planning, yes. probably wasn't your best foot forward.
0: No, no, and that's a very, very important thing for people to remember, and that is, if you have not had a lot of success with this, you, you have to have context behind it. If you weren't prepared, you didn't have any plans in place, everything's kind of chaotic and there's madness everywhere, Yeah, you're going to have some challenges.
1: If you had a file server with no VPN in the office, then I'm guessing it
0: didn't go very well. Exactly. But look at how many organizations did make it work. I think that's the important thing for us to focus on is that, as you said, this has been the greatest work from home, flexible work experiment. We know that it works. People can still be productive. So let's embrace more flexible work arrangements going forward. I hope that that is what we'll do. And on top of that, we can also use this as a springboard to challenge other outdated workplace practices. Uh, you know, do we need annual performance reviews? Do we need annual employee engagement surveys? Uh, how many? You know, do you need to get sign-off when you want to buy a new piece of equipment?
1: Do conferences going to that conference actually help?
0: Exactly. So all of these outdated ways that we've always thought about work, my hope is that we'll use this as a time to say, hey, you know what? We didn't think flexible work would be something that we can do and it's working out pretty well. Maybe we can revisit some of these other things that, you know, we didn't think we could change either. And I really do believe that what companies have been trying to do over several years, digital transformation, with flexible work, with changing how things get done, for many years that has been condensed into a couple of months. So I hope we use this as a time of momentum, of change, of building of evolving and really, creating places where we all feel like we want to be there. And what other? I
1: know you run an organization called the Future If. So, what what that thinks about changes that are going to come, uh, uh, specifically from technology. So, you you mentioned AI. You mentioned that AI. You know, people are talking about it less. But what do you think the biggest changes we're going to see in terms of technology in the workplace?
0: Sure. So the Future If, by the way, is just a Facebook group. So whoever wants to join it, we have around 2,000 people in there. If you just go to thefutureif.com, it'll redirect you. And it's honestly just a bunch of people who like to talk about this stuff. Different business leaders from companies around the world. We just get together, we have different discussions. It's super informal, but you know, it's on Facebook. So as far as the role that technology will have on leadership, I think it's going to make it blatantly clear who the good leaders are and who the bad leaders are. Because if you take stereotypically what a leader does, you can bucket it into two categories. The first is what a leader does is decision making. They have access to more information, more people, like they, they set the direction and they decide on what's happening for the company. And the second thing that a leader does is they get people to move in the direction of that decision. And ultimately, if you look now and look three, four, five, 10 years going forward, what we start to see is that technology is going to start to make better, more accurate, faster decisions than any human ever could looking at more data sets, um, they're they're gonna be able to project things, they're gonna help augment a lot of the decision-making that a leader does. It doesn't mean a leader won't have a say, but they're largely gonna be able to turn to technology and data and AI to help guide them on the decisions that they should be making. So if you're a bad leader and all you do is focus on decision-making, command and control, telling other people what to do, if technology is gonna do that better than you, then you really don't have much use to the organization. But if you're a good leader and you also focus on these human things, motivating, engaging, empowering, inspiring others, communicating, listening, these human aspects of leadership, all of a sudden your value will increase tenfold. So whether you are a leader now or are thinking of becoming a leader, this not only benefits your company, but it will help in a way future-proof your career so if you're purely thinking of this from a selfish point of view, being a more human leader is in your best interest. And it's also in the best interest of your people and your company and quite honestly, everybody around you. All right, Jacob, last question for you. What's a personal or professional
1: mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? And it could be singular or repeated.
0: Oh my God, how many mistakes have I made? Um, I have made many, many mistakes with, with failed businesses things that I wanted to start, things that I wanted to do from all the failures. I think the, the biggest lesson is always, a fa- I think a failure is more of a state of mind. Yeah, I like to view failures as things that I, I learned. And so from all the failures, whether it was starting, so 15 years ago, I had a business partner and I, we had this idea of starting what basically is next door now, hmm. right? Creating these networks, communities of people who live in the same area. And, uh, you know, I had many, many such ideas, getting funding for things, uh, had consulting companies that have failed. I had so so many different things and it's very easy when things fail to get upset, to get dejected and to say, you know what, I can't do it. Uh, Clearly I'm not good at this anymore and I should just stop. And I think the biggest thing that I learned is that when this is part of what having a growth mindset is all about, it's that when you fail at something, it's knowing that you take what you learn from that failure, and you don't stop, you keep going, you move on to the next thing, you, you have to be agile. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned um, is failure is a state of mind. You can always learn and you can always grow and develop and, and be better. Awesome. So
1: Jacob, where can people learn about, more about you and your work and your books?
0: So uh, a couple of places, if you're interested in the book specifically, you can go to getfutureleaderbook.com. That's getfutureleaderbook.com. Uh, there's also an assessment that people can take if you want to see how well you're practicing these skills and mindsets. But I'm going to actually give you a challenge. Don't just take this assessment yourself because you will likely score yourself quite high. Have somebody on your team take this assessment about you. And if you want to do that, you go to futureleadersurvey.com, futureleadersurvey.com. And my personal website is uh, thefutureorganization.com and people can contact me there. I'm on social media, super easy. Find you in the future. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) All right, Jacob, thanks for
1: sharing your story with us. You do really fascinating work thinking about what's coming next and helping others understand the skills they're going to need. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Jacob and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or have been listening to Elevate podcast in general, uh, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review or a rating. It only takes a few seconds. Uh, If you're an Apple podcast, just select the library icon, click on Elevate, and scroll down to the bottom to leave a rating or review. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.